Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Patience. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. That's what James chapter 1, verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And what I'd like to share tonight is something that the Lord's been ministering to me this last month on the subject of patience. And this is a teaching that has really been setting me free. It's been helping me. I've meditated on this before. But patience is a part of our faith. And a lot of Christians, because they haven't understood anything about patience, their faith hasn't been working. And there's a number of scriptures that go along with this. If you'll just turn to a few quick ones here in Hebrews chapter 6. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, praise the Lord, in verse 12, it says, And that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And it's talking about Abraham. Romans 4, 17 tells us about how Abraham was a tremendous man of faith. And it says that it was through faith and patience that he inherited the promises. Now, it's important that we get teaching on faith, but it's important also that we realize about patience because this says that through faith and patience you inherit the promises. And I tell you, something that needs to be balanced among the body of Christ today is the faith teaching, and praise God, I'm all for it because the Scripture says whatsoever is not a faith is sin. I don't want to be living in sin, amen. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. I preach faith all the time, but you need to realize that you, there are other things involved in the Christian life. And I've seen some people that try and get their faith in line and yet go out and live like a dog and it doesn't work that way, amen. Or they go out and they miss a lot of the other things of God. So you've got to put it all in perspective. And this scripture says that it's through faith and patience that you inherit the promises. And then over in chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, it says here, in verse 35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. And there again, it's talking about patience. You can look over in Luke. I believe it's the 8th chapter, and it talks about, or the 17th chapter, and it says, you know, the parable of sowing the seed, and that you reap a crop. And it says, and the last kind, these are those who with patience bring forth fruit. Now, that's good. It's with patience that you bring forth fruit. So patience is an important thing. And, and back to he, James chapter 1, the scripture that we started with, the scripture says in verse 4, let patience have her perfect work that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now that's one of the boldest statements in the word of God. The scripture says that if you let patience have her perfect work, you will be made perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, there's very few scriptures in the Word of God that will promise you anything close to that. Patience is a powerful thing, and yet I dare say most people don't know what patience is. If you do not feel perfect tonight, if you do not feel entire, if you are lacking any good thing, guess what? You've not let patience have a perfect work on the inside of you. Amen? Now, does anybody feel any of those things? Well, then you need to hear what we're talking about. If you don't feel perfect, if you don't feel entire, if you want for any good thing, then we need to learn some things about patience. Amen? Patience is important. Patience is not like a lot of us have thought. First of all, we're going to have to tear down what most people think patience is. Like, for instance, most people think that patience is rolling over and taking with grace anything that the devil wants to put on you. Right? <laughs> In other words, the devil can knock the props flat out from under. You knock you flat of your face. You can be sick and tired and everything else, but you're still coming to church and folding your hands and praising God, and you're patient in tribulation. That is not what the word patience means. Patience is not a passive word. It's an active word. Well, it's a powerful word, and that's what we're going to get into. Patience is an action. And this is my own little simple Andrew Womack definition. You can take it or leave it, but as we go into the word, I believe that you're going to see that it's verified by scripture that patience is nothing but faith but it's faith that's active over a prolonged period of time patience is an active resistance and fighting of the devil but it's a prolonged resistance and fighting of the devil and this is where a lot of christians have missed a lot of people come to a service like this and you get all turned on see because of the singing and the praise and everything else the word of god's preached and man you can believe for anything and if it manifests before you leave this building everything's fine 
But if you have to stand just as strong tomorrow morning as you did tonight, that's where a lot of people begin to falter. And a lot of people, you see, aren't able to stand once they get outside of these walls. That's because they don't have any patience. That's because they don't have the capacity of calm endurance. That's what the word patience means according to the dictionary. The capacity of calm endurance or perseverance. And perseverance isn't a, isn't a weak word either. Perseverance is a strong word that means regardless of what comes your way, you're going to go through it. Amen? You are going to stand. Now, there's a lot of people that say, like I, this is an example. I've heard some people say, well, I'm just patiently enduring my sickness. And what they're doing, they're in bed with their feet propped up, laying there with an ice pack on their head, popping pills and watching TV and saying, I'm just being patient. I'm being patient. I'm waiting on God. That is not patience. That is quitting. That's doubt and that's unbelief. Amen. The scripture says that you've got to actively resist the devil. And the word actively resist, it means to fight against. Resist the devil. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And you can't resist the devil by laying down and submitting to that sickness and calling it yours and saying it's God's turn to heal you. It's not God's move. God's already healed everybody he's going to heal. Amen. Amen. Are you all aware of that? God's not healing people. It's you that's accepting the healing of the Lord. 1 Peter 2.24 says, By his stripes we were healed. It's already done. Amen. Amen. Some of you got that. Some of you looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Amen. <laughs> but that's the truth, brothers and sisters, that God has already done everything about your healing that he's going to do. And it's up to us to appropriate what God's already done to receive it. The same thing as forgiveness of sins. Your sins have already been forgiven, but what are you going to do about it? Are you going to confess Jesus as your Lord and receive it and have this wiped out or not? So you see, when you're sitting there laying in bed acting contrary to what God said when he said, by his stripes ye were healed, you aren't being patient. You just quit is what it amounts to. You aren't standing. A person that's patient is the person that gets prayer and stands on it, and they don't see an immediate manifestation, but they still stand on it just as strong when they walk out of here. And when they go home, they're confessing that I'm healed. And if they don't feel like doing something, they're doing it, and they're standing, and they're operating in faith just over a prolonged period of time. A lot of people are able to release a little squirt of faith, amen, but they aren't able to endure. A lot of people, if the race wasn't but from here to the front chair, would do fine, amen. You could fall that far, amen. And that's about what happens. But brothers and sisters, when you have to go running a mile or two or three miles against the devil, there's a lot of Christians that fall away. And it simply is because we have not disciplined ourselves, because we have not made the commitment to getting God's Word, and we have not declared that, brothers and sisters, what God promised me is going to be mine. I don't care how long I have to fight for it. Amen? And there's a lot of people that have never made that commitment, and because of it, their faith hasn't developed into patience, and they just simply aren't able to stand. And there is a time element involved in your prayer being answered. doesn't matter if it's a split second or if it's a year. There is a time element that's involved. And the time can be shortened as you learn the Word of God. You don't have to put up with things for years and for years. If you learn the Word of God, you can bring things into instant manifestation because that's what we're shooting for. Jesus did it. Amen. But at the same time, you need to recognize it doesn't matter if it does take a year. What are you going to be doing in the next year anyway? You're going to be operating in defeat if you don't learn the Word of God and start fighting, so you might as well start right now. In a year from now, you'll have it. Amen? Praise God. <laughs> so you've got to recognize that there's a time element involved, and you don't always control the time that's involved, and you've got to get to the point where you can stand in faith as long as it takes. Amen? And that's what the Scripture is talking about, patience. Let me say this. The Scripture says that patience makes you perfect and entire. There's a lot of people that have taken James chapter 1 and have completely missed the whole meaning of it. And they say that your tribulations is what makes you perfect and entire wanting nothing. And if that was true, we'd have all been made perfect, right? Because we've all been tribulated. I don't know any Christians that had not had tribulations. Your tribulations don't make you perfect and entire. I turned on the radio today to listen to Brother Stan's broadcast around 4.30, and I, I turned it on a few minutes early, and I heard some of those old unbelieving songs that they played on that station. And they was playing one about the lilies 
don't worry or fret because of the rain, because they know that if it never rained, they'd never, never grow. Y'all ever heard that song? It's a nice tune and all that, but it's terrible unbelief. Now, there's a truth that lilies grow because they get rain. But brothers and sisters, you've got to draw the line, amen? That's not what the Scripture has to say. And, and to prove it, this guy went on to say in the chorus, So let it rain, let it rain, let the storms blow because it's going to make me perfect. If you really believe that, well, then you, if you're going to say, let it rain, well, we need to lay hands on you and pray that you get cancer and that you get disease and that your finances fall apart, right? Because that's going to really mature you and grow you. <laughs> that is not what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures did not say that your trials and tribulations make you perfect and entire wanting nothing. Your patience does that, but in the midst of trials and tribulations, your patience gets a workout. But do you, does your patience come out of trials? No. I was taught that if you want patience, go to praying for tribulation because tribulation worketh patience. It doesn't say tribulation produces patience because Romans 15 verse 4 says that we through comfort and patience of the Scriptures should inherit the promises. Patience comes from the Word. Just the same as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, patience. The ability to stand and resist and endure comes through God's Word, not through your trials and tribulations. Now, your trials and tribulations, if you'll stand in the midst of them and fight it, you're going to get stronger, amen? But that is not where your strength comes from. I was drafted into the Army, and I went, and I got sent to Vietnam. But did you know that they put me in boot camp, and in boot camp they taught me how to fight, and they taught me the things that I was supposed to need to know to send me over there. And, but yet, at the same time, even though I was taught in boot camp, if I engaged the enemy and used what I was taught, I'd be that much better for it. My experience would make me that much more confident, and I'd be a better soldier for it. But did you know if somebody went into Vietnam, and if they didn't go through boot camp, if they were given a gun, and they were sent over there and said, well, this enemy, boy, you're going to really be a soldier when you come out of this thing. They're going to teach you how to fight. And if they were to go in there and run out and embrace the D.C. and say, oh, you're going to make me a great soldier. There's not many of them that would have lived through it. Now, there's a truth that if you fight, you're going to be better off after the fight if you stand and release your faith. But brothers and sisters, you go out there and embrace that thing and say, oh, let trials and tribulations come because they're going to make me grow. You're fixing to get planted. <laughs> Amen. That is not the way you grow. And there's a lot of people that have been accepting trials and tribulations thinking, well, God must be doing this. There's a reason. It's working together for good. And so they submit to it. And Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you submit to a problem that Satan originated and you yield to it thinking, well, there must be some purpose in this. Maybe God's teaching me something through it. Then you just submitted yourself to the devil and he came to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that's exactly why our life's in such a mess is because Satan has put these things upon us and most Christians think God's got everything under control. Amen? Some of you like, well, doesn't God have everything under control? God is going to control everything, let me say that, but God does not bring everything that happens to you. God is not the author of it. God is not the one that allows these things. Somebody says, well, God's all-powerful. He has to allow it for it to happen. God bound himself by his word. Psalms 138 verse 2 says, He has magnified his word even above his name. The word of God is exalted higher than the name of Jesus. Now that's a strong statement. The scripture says that the word of God is a strong tower and the righteous runneth into it and is safe. But God's exalted his word even above that. And brothers and sisters, he's not going to break his word for you or for anybody else. God gave you and me authority over demons. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 says, These signs shall follow them that believe. You shall cast out devils. And if you don't cast out the devil, and if you don't bind him, and if you don't rebuke him, God can't do one thing about it because he bound himself by his word. Now, he's not going to let his ultimate plan go down the drain. God's going to do something if he has to raise up a donkey, amen, to speak God's word. He's done that before. 
God's going to get His plan done, but you have a free will and you can control to a large degree what happens in your life because God's not going to overstep your will. The Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Amen? That's not all that Scripture. That's all that most people know, but you know that's not all that Scripture and there's not a period there. <coughs> You might know the rest of that. If you don't know the rest of that, you might as well throw away the first part of that. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. You got no power working in you, God can't do anything. Brothers and sisters, God's not the one that's brought the sickness and the tragedy and the death and the turmoil and the problems into your life. God gave you and me authority. He did it because he loved us, and he didn't want us to be down here powerless at the mercy of the devil so that the devil can run over us. But at the same time, it gave us a tremendous amount of responsibility, and it says that if you don't do anything, you're a joint heir with God. God can't move without you. He's going to do it according to the power that works in you. If you're sitting there laying in bed saying, Oh, God, do something, you're whistling Dixie because God can't do anything until you get up and do something. He's going to do it according to the power that works in you. If you're asking God to rebuke the devil and on the other hand you're embracing him and calling it my sickness and my disease and my cold and my flu, you just stop the power of God. Can you see that? God's going to answer according to the power that works in you. Let me share one other thing. I'm not wanting to get off on this, but I'm on it, so we might as well answer these questions, amen. Let's look in Romans chapter 8. Let's look at Romans 8, 28. This is a scripture that people know if they don't know any scripture in the Bible. Lost people, this is the one that they use. Everybody gets up at the funeral and says, well, we don't understand the ways of God, but we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And they blame God for killing people, for the death of babies, for car wrecks, for massacres, for all kinds of... I heard a lady one time whose son was a missionary to one of these South African nations and the communists came in, ran over and took it over. And it was a black lady and they interviewed her and asked her about her son. He was a missionary and he was dismembered. He was butchered. And on the interview, she says, Well, I don't understand, but I know that all things work together for good to them that love God. God had to have a purpose in that. And she thought she's giving a praise of the Lord over national television, but she was, that's a mockery. God is not the one that did that. And that's the problem, brothers and sisters. There's a lot of people, there's probably a lot of you right here that think that God is the author of your problems. This brother Fisher's been coming to our meetings in Bedford, and his testimony was he learned that God didn't carry an iron club and beat you every time you get out of line. Religion has taught us that. We thought that God was mad at you and that, man, if you get out of line, my pastor that I had over in uh, Garland, he used to teach me that if you don't tithe, God's going to take it out in doctor bills. <laughs> that you're going to give 10%. You might as well give it to the church or your God's going to collect it in doctor bills. He'll make you sick. He'll, he'll put cancer on you. He'll do all kinds of things. And that's basically what people think. They think that if somebody left church and all of a sudden bad things begin to happen to them, they say, boy, that's God. That's the wrath of God. God's shaping them up, right? That's what people think. They think that God has a hand in that. Well, that happened because that person got into sin. Well, they're right. That did happen because that person got into sin. But not because God did it to them, but because when you commit sin, you just open up the door to the devil and say, Here I am. And he comes in to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God is not the author of your problem. Amen? Somebody might say, Well, why is that so important? Well, praise God. If you find out where your problem's coming from, you can do something about it. Instead of running from God and saying, I don't want to get too close to him, he's liable to kill me or take one of my children if he really loves me to make me holy, right? That's what a lot of people think. It'll make you know that our God is a good God and that he is for us and that he's not against us and when something comes into your life, you can actively fight against it. But did you know that most people that think that God's the one that's putting their problems on them, how are they going to fight against that thing if God's behind it? 
whether he brought it or whether he allowed it, how are you going to fight against it? Are you going to go into the throne room and twist God's arm and tell him to get off your back that you've had enough of this and you are not going to put up with this sickness? You can't do that. Not very many people would try and do that. I wouldn't. Amen? I'm not trying to make God do anything. A lot of people talk about, man, I'm going to persevere and grab hold and I'm not going to let go of God until he blesses me. Well, you got the wrong impression. You don't have to grab hold of God and make him bless you. Amen. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're already blessed. You don't have to get God on your side. You've got to demand your blessings from the devil and say, Satan, I refuse to allow you to steal it. And you've got to go acting like it and talking it when you don't feel it for those blessings to manifest. Amen. So when you learn this, what it does, it enables you to actively fight against your problems. If you are not actively fighting against the things that have come into your life to destroy you, you can wish and hope and pray and let people lay hands on you until they rub all the hair off the top of your head, amen? And you're still going to have your problem. Because you have to actively fight and resist the devil. Satan cannot put anything upon you except what you're accepting. Amen? Even a lost man can resist the devil. Did you know that? Not near like what I can. He doesn't have the authority and the power of Jesus behind him. But God gave you a free will. And Satan cannot violate your free will. Now, he can put a lot of pressure on you, but this old saying about the devil made me do it isn't true. The devil didn't make you do it. The devil tempted you and you did it. The devil can't make you do it. And if you understand this, then you don't, there is nothing, no force under the powers of heaven that can make you have cancer tonight. There is nothing that can make you be sick. They can tempt you. They can put pressure on you. The doctor may tell you you got it, but you don't have to take it. Amen. You know, people are always saying, I caught a cold. Well, why did you catch it? You should have dodged or thrown the thing back. Amen. <laughs> That's what we actually do. We're taking it. The devil threw it at us and we caught it and said, it's mine. I got a cold. Right? We accept the things the devil puts on us because we don't know our rights and position and we don't know that the devil can't make you do one thing. The devil can't make you be defeated. But we sold over to him. People wake up and say, well, it's Monday morning. And they sell the day after the devil because it's Monday. What difference does it make? What if you fell asleep and woke up on Tuesday and thought Tuesday was Monday? Are you going to give that day over to the devil too? See, that doesn't make good sense. And some people say, well, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, which side of the bed is the right side of the bed? Amen. <laughs> Does anybody know? But you see, through things like that, we have programmed ourselves just to give things over to the devil. The devil has laid down a well-planned well attack and at a certain time of the year, we say that it's flu season. And so you go to expecting flu. And you go to believing for it and confessing it. And you get it. Your face working perfect, amen. You believe for the flu and you get it. It works just perfect. But you see, we have been taught how to accept those things. We've been taught that when you get 30 years old, you're over the hill and you're headed down on the, on the wrong side of the hill. Brothers and sisters, that's just as wrong as it can be. I'm convinced that one reason that Adam and Methuselah and all those guys lived over 900 years, Methuselah lived 969 years, and I'm convinced that one of the reasons that they lived so long is because they didn't know how to die. <laughs> they did not have the government telling them that they had to retire at 65. Most of them didn't even have any children until they were nearly 200 years old. Isn't that something? Nobody got to telling them that when you're over 30, you're over the hill. They didn't know that. And some people think, well, that's humorous, but I believe that's true. The devil could not make them accept old age because they didn't have a standard. They didn't know that 900 years was old. They didn't have anything to go by. And the devil couldn't tell them and start expecting it. And I promise you, if you would be honest, every last one of you, one time or another, has joked about your age, well, I'm getting old, I'm not as young as I used to be. Maybe it's, you know, the Lord trying to remind me I'm not as young as I used to be. You just got snared by the words of your mouth. Proverbs 6, 2 says you're snared by the words of your mouth. 
and we've confessed weakness. We've confessed old age. And Jamie brought out something that Abraham and Sarah, do you know when Abraham went down into Egypt the second time and told Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister because he was afraid that they'd kill him because his wife was so beautiful. She's 89 years old when that happened. Do you all know that? 89 years old, and Abraham was afraid that he was going to get killed because his wife was so beautiful. How many of you men feel that way about your wife, amen? Don't show your hands on that. <laughs> I tell you, brothers and sisters, 89 years old, and she was so beautiful, he was fearing for his life. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Somebody says, well, now that was a different dispensation. People lived longer back then. Well, read the 90th Psalm. Moses wrote the 90th Psalm. And under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and Holy Ghost in the 10th verse, Moses said the days of a man's years shall be threescore years and ten. And yet Moses lived to be 120 years old, and his natural force was not abated, nor his eyesight dim. That shows you that 70 years is not a maximum God gave us a minimum. He put a limit on the devil and he said, Satan, I give these people 70 years. That's not a maximum. You can go on if you want to. Scripture says in Psalms 91 that he'll satisfy you with long life. If you get 70 years old and you aren't satisfied, go on until you're satisfied. Amen. <laughs> That's what the Scripture says. You can get satisfied with long life. And if you aren't satisfied at 70, go on. And that is what the Scripture promises us. And brothers and sisters, that's ours. But really, Satan has put down a scheme and we have accepted it. We've confessed it. You listen to the negativism on it all of the time. You begin to line up your speeching with speak, with speech, well, however you say that, with the world. And as a result, you get exactly what Satan has been pushing. Brothers and sisters, Satan can't make you get old. Now, he, now I'm not talking about gaining years. When you get quit gaining years, you aren't here with us anymore, amen? There's nothing wrong with gaining years, but I'm talking about getting decrepit and beat down and shriveled up, amen? And a person that's like that, I love you. I mean, you can be shriveled up if you want to be, but you don't have to be. God loves you just the same. I'm saying that that's our inheritance and you do not have to settle for anything less. It's not God that does these things to us. Satan is an enemy, and we have not known his attack and his strategy against us, so most Christians have just allowed him to do whatever they want. Most Christians confess it, they talk about it, they accept it, and they get it. The laws of God work perfect, brothers and sisters, and the law says that you shall have whatsoever you say. If you say it doesn't work for me, you'll get what you say. It'll work perfect. Amen? If you say it will work for me, it will work for you if you'll operate in patience. We're going to get back to patience right after Romans 8, 28. If you hadn't got it now, you aren't ever going to find it. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, a lot of people take that to say that everything that happens to you, God controls it, and it's got to work together for good. That's not what that scripture says. If you'd open up your eyes and read this, you could see it. The very first thing, it says, and we know. The word and is a conjunction. That's a figure of speech, and that means that the 28th verse is tied in to what was just said before it. And in the 26th and the 27th verse, it says that the Holy Ghost makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, if you are operating in the Holy Ghost and if you are allowing the Holy Ghost to make intercession for you, then we know that all things work together for good. Amen? Now, that's not the same as if you looked at it without that. And then it goes on to say, not only do we know that all things work together for good, but it is to those that love God. If you don't love God, things aren't going to work together for good for you. The Scripture says in 1 John, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So when he's talking about a person that loves him and keeps his commandment, it's talking about a person that knows God, a person that's a doer of the word. And then it puts another qualification on it. It says, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Well, what is the purpose of the Lord Jesus? Let's look at it in exact words. 1 John chapter 3, it uses these exact words to describe the purpose of Jesus. 1 John chapter 3 
Verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was manifested for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil. So when it says that you have to be one of those that is called according to his purpose, it means that you have to be functioning in your calling of destroying the works of the devil. A person that submits to a sickness, lays down in bed and says, God, put this on me, it's going to work together for good. It's not going to work together for good because they are not operating with the same purpose that Jesus had. They aren't resisting that thing. They've submitted to it. Amen? And it's going to steal, kill, and destroy from them. Amen? And you need to realize this. Romans 8.28 is not saying that God does everything to you and regardless of what happens, it's going to work. This is saying that if you're allowing the Holy Ghost to make intercession for you, if you're born of God and a doer of the Word, and if you're resisting the devil, regardless of what comes at you, it's going to work together for good. Now, I can say that. If cancer was to hit me tonight, I wouldn't think God did it to me, but I tell you what I would do. I'd get up and I'd begin to confess my inheritance. I'd stand on the Word of God. I'd resist that thing. I'd get hands laid on me, a prayer of faith prayed over me, and I'd get up the next time you saw me and be able to testify that, praise God, I've been healed of cancer, and it would work together for good because I resisted it, because I destroyed the works of the devil. But a person that says, well, God must have done this for some reason, they're going to die of cancer, and that's not going to work together for good. That is not God's system, brothers and sisters, and that is Satan that has lied to us and made us think that God is in control. God is retaining control. He is going to work it out the way that he said, but God did not control that cancer coming at you. God is not controlling the strife that's in your home. He is not the one that brought it there. He is not the one that has placed the depression upon you to break you and to knock you to your knees. That is not God's way. If God wants to get your attention, he can love you, amen. amen? Love is the strongest force. It destroyed all of Satan's hindrances. It's the strongest force that there is. And if God wants your attention, he's going to get you. Also, the Scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That scripture said it's the word of God that's going to make you perfect and, and furnish you unto all good works, not your trials and tribulations. A person that believes trials and tribulations are what perfects you, then they don't believe that scripture. They believe that the word of God would not make you perfect and complete, furnished unto all good works. It has to be the word plus all your trials and tribulations, but that's not what the scripture says. The Word of God's what's going to make me perfect and thoroughly furnished. And if I stand in fight, I'm going to be that much better for it. But it's not my fight and it's not my trials and tribulations that perfected me. It's God's Word. If you don't have God's Word, you're going to fold when the trials and when the tribulations come your way. Amen? They are designed to steal, to kill, and to destroy from you. And brothers and sisters, we need to start learning this and realizing that God's Word, where we're growing from, now, I'm not saying you can't learn by hard knocks. You can. But that's not God's system. Did you know you can get healed through the doctors? But that's not God's system. Might have stepped on somebody's toes there, but God isn't the one that did that. I won't get off on that or I'd never get off of it. But I heard a lady this morning praying for somebody. They came up and they wanted prayer and she says, Well, do you want God to do it or do you want some man to do it? <laughs> I thought that was a good way of looking at it, amen. I'm not condemning the other way. Do it if you want to, but that's not God's system. There's a better way. If you don't know God's way, you better go the other way so that you can stay alive and get hold of God's Word. But that's not God's way. That is not God's system. It is not God's system for you to learn by hard knocks, but basically that's what Christians have been doing. We've been letting the devil beat our head against the floor and then run to God and ask for help, and the Lord teaches us something through it. There's a better way than that, amen? There is a lot better way than that. I got an example where my son, Joshua, he's not with us tonight, but he's five years old. When he was one year old, I was loading lumber on a truck over in Seagaville, Texas, and it was in the afternoon, and it was really hot. 
And he got sleepy. It was his nap time. And he laid down in the dirt to go to sleep. And he had sweat on him. And it just caked him with dirt. And I knew when we got home, Jamie was going to love that. So I got him up off of there. And I put him up in his semi-truck. And the truck, the window of the truck was up over my head. And I made him lay down in there. I had to roll the windows down because it was hot. And I told him to lay down and go to sleep. And I went back to loading lumber. Well, he, he got up and looked in that rearview mirror and got to laughing at me and cutting up, and he thought that was funny. And so he'd lean out the window and laugh, and I told him to lay down, and he got back up, and finally I spanked him and told him to lay down and go to sleep. Well, he disobeyed and got up again, and he fell out of that truck, and he hit his eye on the running board and his head right on the ground. He was only about, I think, 18 months old, something like that, a little tiny kid. And anyway, when that happened, I got him, I prayed over him, I rebuked all the boot bruises and things like this, and then I said, now Joshua, that's what I was telling you. If you had have obeyed me, that wouldn't have happened to you. Now he learned something through that. He really did. And from that time on, for quite a while, I'd tell Joshua to lay down or to do something. Boy, he'd snap too, because he realized that that happened because he disobeyed me. He learned something through it. But if he'd have been like most Christians, he'd have gone out and told all of his friends, says, my dad, he's the most wonderful guy. He pushed me out of a semi-truck window and let me bump my eye on the running board and my head on the ground to teach me to obey him. That's not what I did. I did everything within my control to restrain him. When he did not respond to me, there is another way to learn. You can learn by hard knocks. But that is not the best way. That was not my way. And somebody might say, but wait a minute. Are you saying that there's something that's beyond God's control? Well, there sure is, amen. God gave us a free will. And brothers and sisters, he won't violate it. If he did, you'd be a robot. God didn't make robots. God gave you a free will. And God will give you a free will. And if you want to go to hell, God will protect you all the way to hell and not let anybody violate your free will. That's the truth, because God loves you. Amen? And God will not violate your free will except in judgment. Now, he does violate people's will in judgment, but really that's not a violation because those people rejected him and he's just given them what they chose. But in judgment, they may not want to go to hell, but he will execute the judgment. There's times that he'll eat people with worms. Did you know it? It happened with Herod, but it wasn't for correction. What did Herod learn out of that? Amen? 12th chapter of the book of Acts, you go read it. He was standing there and all of a sudden he was eating with worms and he wasn't anymore. He didn't learn anything through that. That was a judgment. That was a punishment upon him. God will violate your will in judgment, but that's the only time that he'll do it. So, if we do not exercise our will and receive through the Word of God and through the correction of the Holy Ghost, you can learn another way. You can get knocked flat of your face. And if you've got enough good sense to call out to God in the midst of your problem, God will show you where you missed it. God will teach you and God will set you back on the right path. But don't go blaming God for the one that knocked you to your face. There's a lot of people that are paralyzed from the waist down saying God did it to make them a holy Christian. They may have turned to the Lord in the midst of it, and they may be glorifying God to some degree. They may be saying that Jesus is their Lord, but brothers and sisters, God didn't do that to them. Satan did that to them, and in the midst of it, they had enough sense to turn to God, and God loves them enough. He'll take them out, rebound from Satan, amen, and still teach them something. But God didn't do it, and that is not glorifying God to say that God's the one that's making vegetables of people. That's not the message that Jesus brought. Acts 10, 38 says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power and with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good and healing all that were what? Oppressed of the devil, not oppressed of God. Amen? They were oppressed of the devil. And we need to find out who we're fighting, brothers and sisters. It's not God. God is not the source of our problem. And boy, now that will convince you that God loves you. But did you know there's really a lot of vain religious stuff going on today? People up there saying, God loves you, God loves you. Then a problem strikes and that same preacher comes over and says, Well, God works all things together for good. Brothers and sisters, most carnal people are smarter than religious people. They haven't been brainwashed. They haven't been taught a lie. 
And most carnal people, if somebody's the one that killed their wife or killed their child or made their life miserable, they want to run from them, not to them. It's only the religious people that respond to things like that. It's only people that have been fed a lie and conditioned and brought up that way that could believe that kind of junk. That's the reason the world is staying away from churches by the droves. Now, I don't blame them. They got more sense than most so-called Christians because they're tired of playing church. They don't want a social organization. They could go down to the pool hall, amen, if they want to have fun. They don't get anything through church. I have to apologize to most people that I witness to because when you say that you're a Christian, they think of, yeah, just like down there at so-and-so church or whatever. And I have to continually make it clear that I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody that's a doer of the Word. And there is a difference. And brothers and sisters, these misconceptions, Satan has used them to put the body of Christ into bondage to make us wonder where our problems come from. And most of all, to get us to where we aren't resisting and fighting the devil. Because you can't resist something if you think God's the source of it. Not if you got any smart, you won't resist it. Amen. Praise God. So we need to find out where our problem is. Amen. Well, I'm way off the track. Let's look over here in Hebrews chapter 12. Really, that's not off track because if you start operating in patience, this is going to have to be one of your fundamental things because you can't stand and fight over a prolonged period of time if you are not totally confident that God is on your side. If you, if you believe for something, say, for instance, you believe for healing and it doesn't come in the next 30 minutes, you've got to know that God is not the one that's held it back. You've got to know that it's not God that's delayed it. Because if you waver on that point, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, which follows verse 4, amen, where we started reading about patience, it says that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A person who will believe one moment and disbelieve the next will not receive anything of God. You've got to reach a place where you're consistent. And you're going to believe not only when Stan McGee's got his hands on you praying and shouting and hollering at the devil over you, but, hey, man, when you're out by yourself and all of the demons of hell have jumped on you, you're going to have to believe it just as strong without wavering. That's the person that's going to receive. Amen? So this is a fundamental in getting patience. You've got to know that God's on your side and not be moved by it. And brothers and sisters, the natural realm, Satan will do everything he can to convince you that God's not on your side that God's not going to come through, that you just deserve to stew in your juice, and God is letting you get what you deserve. And Satan has a well-planned scheme to make you think that. But brothers and sisters, the good news is we aren't getting what we deserve. Amen? I'm glad for that. And this is another thing a lot of religion teaches. Well, you sinned. You did something wrong. God broke fellowship with you. He did not. If God broke fellowship with you because of sin, none of us would have fellowship. Amen? Somebody say, well, now, wait a minute. I'm not talking about, you know, little sin. I'm talking about those big ones. Like adultery or smoking or fornication or lying or something like that. Now, big stuff like that will break the fellowship of God. But, of course, he has mercy on the small stuff. If he didn't, nobody could ever get anything from God. Well, James chapter 2, verse 10 says that if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. Man puts sins in categories, but did you know that overeating isn't any better than smoking? They're both destroying a body. Amen? If you can't say amen, you can say oh me. That's the truth. But God looks at them as being the same. It's just like a plate glass window. You can shoot a BB through a plate glass window or run a grand piano through it. doesn't matter. You've broken the thing, and the whole thing has to be replaced. It goes on to say that if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. If you do not transgress by murdering, but yet if you steal, you become a murderer because you broke the law of God. You may never have committed adultery. Like, I, the Lord blessed me. I was brought up in a home. I accepted the Lord when I was young. I've never said a cuss word in all my life. I've never smoked a cigarette, and I've never taken a drink. 
And while I was saying that one night in a Bible study, a lady just in the back, she says, well, it doesn't make you any better than any of the rest of us. <laughs> and she's right. Because even though I never did what the church realm considered wrong, I was disobedient to my parents. I was in rebellion. I was going my own way. I did not yield myself to the control of the Lord. I was full of pride. I was just as much a sinner, and I was just as much bound for hell as anybody else. I may have been a better sinner than you, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever got turned away from heaven, amen? That doesn't purchase anything, praise the Lord. So anyway, what I'm saying is, I didn't do a lot of things wrong, but I still was just as guilty, I was just as lost as anybody ever was. And that's the way it is. You may put sins in category, but God looks at sin as being sin, and you aren't perfect yet. First John chapter 1, verse 7, and well, verse 8 says, If any man says that he has not sinned, he's a liar, and the truth isn't in him. Brothers and sisters, you aren't perfect yet. You are not perfect yet. And so you better hope and believe that God can love a sinner, although you are not a sinner. That's a whole other teaching. I could go in ten directions, but I won't. Just because you sin, you're not a sinner. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So anyway, where was I? Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read this one, and we're going to have to close it down. I got started on something else. Y'all draw the preach out of me. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now this scripture again is talking about patience, and it says that that's the way you have to run the race that is set before you is with patience. And it's comparing the Christian life to a race. And any of you that have done any running know that you've got to pace yourself. There's got to be an endurance. And brothers and sisters, I've learned this by dealing with people. I'm sure Stan and a lot of other people in here that have ministered could verify it. That sometimes some of the people that are just, Amen, they're right on the front row, man, shouting and patting their foot and hollering and clapping their hands and looking so turned on are the quickest ones to fall flat on their face. They can get just as low as they get high. And some of these old guys that sit there and look at you like, you know, they don't understand a word you're saying, but they're mulling it over. Whenever they get it, they got it, and you can't get it out of them. And I've learned that. And what it is, it's this quality of patience or endurance. A person that will endure will last longer than the person that just gives it everything they got for five steps, amen. The person that will endure will be the one that will win the race. I, I started running for my weight benefit. And anyway, I got to where I was running three and a half miles a morning. And did you know that when I first started running, I nearly conked out at the first quarter mile. Because I, I just got with it. I turned on the speed, and I was going to get with it. Well, I didn't last very long. And I had to learn that I had to start pacing myself. And that's what this scripture is saying, that there's a lot of Christians that they're going to really get with it, and they're going to convert the world by next week. But if it goes into two weeks, then they don't have any ability to stand and fight. Amen? And they fall by the wayside. And the reason they don't have this ability to stand is because it says it patience comes through the scriptures. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It comes through being established. It comes from being mature and grounded in God's Word. And brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with zeal. Zeal's a great thing, but underneath it, you've got to undergird it with patience. You've got to have the ability to stand regardless of how long it takes. And there's a lot of Christians that have never disciplined themselves to that point. They're ready to believe God for healing as long as it works right now. But they aren't willing to fight. But did you know one of those scriptures we used? I won't take time to turn back over to it, but in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, it says that once you are enlightened, you endured a great fight of afflictions. That means once the word comes real to you and once you see the truth, you are going to get a great fight of afflictions. God's not the one to put them on you, but Satan's going to come immediately to steal the word. And things are going to get worse before they get better. When I started believing God for healing, I was a healthy guy. I never got sick. But as soon as I started preaching healing, I had a cold for three months. 
and sickness came on me and one thing right after another and I'd be up sniffling and my eyes watering preaching healing. Amen. And it was hard on me at first. What it was, I was enduring a fight of affliction. Satan was coming to steal that word. And if I'd have just said, well, it doesn't work, well, then I'd have lost it. But I made a determination that God's word's true whether I can live it or not. Amen. And I'll preach healing and God will apply it to somebody else's life and they'll get healed whether I can operate in it or not. And I determined to preach what God said and it works. Amen. And now we're seeing it work. But there was a fight. There isn't a race. There's an endurance. It says that you have to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you. Whoever saw anybody running a race, dragging all this stuff behind him, you aren't going to win. But there's a lot of Christians today that they're trying to serve God and at the same time they've got to hold on as the stomach turns every day. You couldn't miss it for nothing, right? And they got to hold on to their things that they do. They've got to hold on to things. And it didn't say just sin. Hopefully I'm speaking to a group of people tonight that ought to know better than to go out and live in sin. Amen? But not just sin. It says the weights. There's lots of things that can be weights to you. Did you know you can serve God and it can become a weight to you? Anybody understand that? I got to ministering six nights a week, preaching the gospel, making radio programs, ministering to people all the time so that I didn't even have time to go to sleep. And guess what? I got to where I was starving myself spiritually. It became a weight for me to be out preaching every night of the week. You can do that. Jesus himself withdrew from the multitudes and spent time praying, seeking the Lord. There, nearly anything can become a weight to you if it is occupying the time and the place that God ought to be occupying. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of Christians that wouldn't give the... They wouldn't be caught dead smoking or drinking or doing anything like that, but they sit there and they worry constantly over their problems. Or they sit there and they listen to things that are ungodly. They're filling themselves with things that are weight to them that is hindering your faith. And then they wonder, why isn't my faith working? It's because you're dragging all this stuff with you and you just wear yourself out. You've only got a certain capacity. Did you know it? And you're either going to be filled with God, during, with, you're going to fill yourself with God, or you're going to fill yourself with the devil. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 says, The light of the body is the eye. And if your eye be single, then your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, then your whole body shall be full of darkness. That's saying that what you focus your attention upon is what you're going to be full of. If all you focus your attention upon is God's Word, God's Word's the only thing that's going to have preeminence in your life. But if you focus your attention upon something else, then that's going to begin to take its place. And there may not be a thing wrong with Matt Dillon or Gilligan's Isle, or the Roadrunner, Bugs Bunny, whatever it is that you're watching. But when it comes time for you to be healed, the Roadrunner will not heal you. Amen? <laughs> and if that's what you've filled yourself with, it may not be sin, but it's a weight, and it will not minister healing to you. I heard a guy one time use an example of a water faucet. You could take the very best water faucet that money can buy. And you can put it on the sink, you can polish it and make it look perfect, and hook it up to the gas line. And when you turn that faucet on, I don't care if it's the best water faucet that money can buy, you're going to get gas. Right? That's right, brother. And there's a lot of Christians that are world overcomers. They're Christians. They're born of God. They've got all of the promises. They're equipped. They can overcome anything that the devil wants to throw at them. But instead of being plugged into the Word of God, they're plugged into the world, and out of them comes worry, out of them comes care, strife, jealousy, wrath, emulations, all of the about economic woes, bad confessions, because that's what you plug yourself into, that's what you listen to, that's what you are, and then you wonder why you aren't overcoming. Man, it's a wonder that God hadn't wiped us all off the map. We need to learn some discipline and learn to spend some time with God and you need to learn to turn off some of the, the football games. Amen? Amen, amen. amen or oh me. I'm not against football games. There may be a time that watching a football game might really be good. It might really be good. Maybe you need to sit down and see a struggle between the East and the West teams. Amen? You might get something out of that. I'm not saying that it's a sin, but I'm saying that like we got a guy that we held a Bible study at his house. And I noticed him going back and forth. 
And I found out the next day that the Broncos were playing on Thursday night, and he was going up there watching the football game. He couldn't leave it alone. Amen? He keeps giving me signs of my tape running out. I'm not through yet. And Brother Stan said, I keep going. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So anyway, what I'm saying is what you're plugged into is what's going to come out of you. And brothers and sisters, there's no exceptions to that. God loves you, but there is a law of God, and that is that he's going to work in your behalf according to the power that works in you. If you have not been staying your mind upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, it's not going to work. You've got to lay aside some weights. They can't necessarily be sins. I can't tell you that it's sin what you're doing, but I can tell you it's weighting you down. It's keeping you from God's Word, and you need to get fanatical about it. You can't get too much of Jesus. You can't overdose on God's Word. Amen? It will not make you lopsided. Well, it will make you lopsided. Amen? It'll make you all over on God's side. Amen? And take you out of the world's side. It'll make you in the right perspective. It says you have to lay aside the weight and the sin that beset you and run with patience the race that is set before you by looking unto Jesus. Well, there's some good things in that. Jesus is where your faith comes from, not the television, not anything else. Jesus is where your faith comes from, and you've got to keep your attention stayed on him, not on the Iranian situation, not on any other crisis. You've got to stay it upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, or you'll lose it. When you're running a race, I, I used to run relays, and I know that if you hear that guy breathing down your neck, and if you turn around and look at him, you lose time. You cannot look at the opposition. You can't see where you are. You've got to just keep your eyes on the goal because you'll run a straight line. Also, a friend of mine really helped me one time. The Lord dealt, dealt with him along the lines of this scripture, and the Lord showed him that what was happening, people were persecuting him and saying fanatic and yelling at him and booing him and doing all of these things as he ran the race. And he'd run up in the grandstands and argue with them and say, I am not a fanatic. And he'd try and justify himself. And the Lord told him, he says, get out of the grandstands and stay on the track. says, you'll never win the race up there arguing. Amen. And brothers and sisters, we're running a race. And if people want to say something about you, if they don't like the way you do something, just keep running a race looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And I promise you, you'll beat the person that goes along and tries to justify themselves and give an explanation of everything. God didn't explain himself on all that stuff. He said, if you have ears to hear, hear. And he went on. Amen? So you've got to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. That's where your patience comes from. Jesus is the Word. And when you're looking at Jesus, you can have patience. Because Jesus is the Word, right? And the Word shows you not what the world or the devil has to say about it. The Word shows you what God has to say about it. The Word shows you the end result. Through the Word of God, I can see that by His stripes we were healed. If I'm looking at my flesh, my flesh is going to tell me, oh, you're hurting. You don't feel healed. But God's Word tells me I am healed. And if I look at it, then I can patiently endure. I can stand and keep my faith going because God's Word is painting a picture for me. Amen. I'm full of what God has to say. And I can operate in patience if I'm looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. But if you're listening to all of the negativism and doubts around about you, you're fighting against your faith. It's not sin for you to go to a doctor. I'm not going to try and get off on doctors. But I'll say this, that you're better off not to know what it is that Satan's fighting you with. Because once a doctor comes along and says, cancer, there's fear that's involved in that. He pronounces a curse upon you and says that it's incurable and all of these kind of things. And then you've got to counter all of that. That's a weight that you've got to cut loose from you. It'd be better off just to sit there and think, well, it's a bump. I'm getting rid of that thing in the name of Jesus, amen? And it's easier to focus your attention on Jesus. But most of us are so well-educated in Satan's system. Man, we got it down pat. We can think and plan and see exactly what Satan's going to do, but we have very little sight to be able to see God. That's because we haven't been spending time in the Word. That's because we've been spending more time in the world. We know what the world's experienced. That's where we really live, and that's where we are established. But we need to get the other way. And you can, according to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, you can exercise your senses to discern both good and evil. You can get your physical senses to the point that they actually agree with God's Word, and they don't go bananas every time you start believing God. Did you know that? You can really do that. 
You can re renew yourself to the point that you fully expect with your emotions and your feelings and everything else that God's going to triumph in every situation. Now, you won't get there overnight. You're going to have to operate in some patience. Amen. But you can do that if you'll commit yourself totally to it. You can renew yourself. The world says once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. But that's not the truth. You can get delivered and become a new creature, and you can get delivered from it. And I promise you there are some people that could no more go back and drink than anything because they have renewed themselves. Now, it's possible if they renounced the Lord that they could, but a person who is seeking God could no more go back and indulge in that because they have turned their back on it, they've been delivered, and even their senses repulse it. I got an uncle that's named Safi. Uncle Safi lives down in East Texas. And he used to smoke until he saw a picture of a guy's lungs that smoked. And once he saw that, he turned on it so bad that now his senses, if you get in a car or in his house and smoke, he goes to throw it up. He can't stand it. You've got to get out of there because he repulses that cigarette and cigar smell so bad that he can't stand it. He has renewed his senses to the point that he now no longer can stand what he used to love. You can do that, brothers and sisters. We don't have to be carnal. You don't have to have your emotions to where it seems like you're fanatical for believing God. We're the ones that normal. They're, they're below normal, amen. They're abnormal. We're trying to be normal like what the Bible says. It's the normal Christian life for a Christian to have victory. It's normal for you to be healed. Did you know it? You study the Bible. It's normal to be healed. It's normal to be prosperous. It's normal to be a world overcomer. You are abnormal. You are flat missing what God intended for you if we aren't living in victory. And we've been listening to the world too long. The world sets the standards and the Christians feel like we're weird. We ought to set the standard and let the world feel like they're weird. Amen. I remember when I used to start witnessing to people, I used to feel like, man, you're a fanatic. These people are going to think that you're strange. And the Lord finally showed me one day, he says, you're the one that's speaking the truth. You're the one that's ministering what they need. They're the one that ought to feel peculiar and ill at ease around you, not you around them. So I begin to be normal, amen. And now there's lots of people who get weird around me. They're strange. I don't understand why they react that way. I'm just normal, amen. Praise God. Well, anyway, I'm going to have to close, but it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye also be wearied and faint in your minds. If you're weary tonight, if there's anybody here that's weary, or if you've fainted in your mind, it is because you have not been considering Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith. You've been considering something else. If there's anybody that's got any fear or any turmoil over world events, over the Iranian situation, I heard on the news tonight that President Carter said that we're closer to war than we've been in 35 years. That's a grave statement. I'm not sticking my head in a hole and denying those things. I'm just denying for them to have any dominion over me because it doesn't matter what this world does, amen. If we went into war, I'm going to prosper. I'm not praying for it. I'm praying against it. But what I'm saying is if those things are putting fear in you, if you feel weary, if you feel like fainting in your mind, like the scripture says, man's heart failing them for fear, looking after those things that are to come upon the earth. If you're feeling that way, it's because you have not been considering Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You've been considering the problem. And I'm not denying that there's a problem, but I'm saying this, that Jesus is a thousand times greater than any problem. Praise God. And brothers and sisters, you don't have to be fearful by those things. You don't have to be fearful of what Satan is telling you or anything else if you will stay your mind upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. When you do that and when you get established and when you know what God's Word says, you'll be able to operate in patience. You'll be able to calmly endure because it doesn't matter. You know that you've got to win. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. Amen. I'm operating in faith and I've got to win. You know, Kenneth Copeland said something that just really turned me on, blessed me, and that is that he said we don't play any nine-inning ball games. If I'm behind at the end of nine innings, we go 10, 11, 12, 13, until I win, amen. My daddy owns the ball and the bat. We play until I win. And if you get in a bind, I'm not saying that Satan won't fight against you, but if you get established in this, you can sit there and say, I refuse to quit. If we have to go into extra innings, we'll go. But bless the Lord, I'll never change. 
And I promise you, once you make your decision like that, you'll find out that nearly everything you believe for will come instantaneous. Somebody might say, well, now, why is that? It's because the devil is smart. And he's a dummy, but he's smart. Amen? Couldn't be too smart and fight against God. But, on the other hand, he's got a lot of carnal perception. And Satan can look at you, and he knows whether you've got established in the Word or whether you're close to wavering. And if Satan can see, like, for instance, I had a lady one time that wanted me to pray over her teeth. So I prayed over her teeth. And then I found out later, that was on a Saturday night, she had a doctor's appointment made for Monday morning. And if it didn't work by a certain time Monday morning, she was going to go to the dentist. Well, now the devil's not dumb. The devil knows that she had a doctor's appointment made, and the doc and if she set her deadline for nine o'clock Monday morning, the devil's going to fight her till nine o one, regardless of how much faith she releases, because he knows that she's got a breaking point, and he'll wade through all the blows you can give him, trying to get you to break, because that's his only hope is to fight. He's he's defeated if he doesn't. And so that lady fought until right when the time where she said it just isn't working. And it's time to go to the doctor. Finally, she made a decision. No, sir, I'm healed. She canceled her appointment and she is healed. When the devil saw that she made up her mind and that there was no turning back, the devil's not going to stay around and get his ears pinned. But the reason he's fighting you so hard is because he knows all he's got to do is last five minutes and you'll wear out and roll over and he can have you. But once he sees it, praise God, you've set your attention and there is no turning back. You have determined it. And if you die, believe in God, big deal. You are going to stand on God's word. When you set your jaw like that, I guarantee you the devil will begin to go. And brothers and sisters, we need that. We need some people that are willing to commit themselves to God. And there's a lot of people that won't make that kind of a commitment because they're afraid of being a failure. What if it didn't work? Well, brothers and sisters, if you aren't believing God and if you hadn't made a commitment like that, you're a failure already. Whether you're socially accepted, whether you're still the head usher or whatever, you are a failure already if you have not made that kind of a commitment. In God's eyes, not in man's eyes maybe. But that's what God asked for is a total commitment. He asked for people that would be willing to lay down their life because they loved Him. And we need to get that kind of a commitment. When you make it, you'll find out that you won't have to patiently endure too long because the devil will just pack up and leave. There's nothing to gain by fighting you because you aren't going to quit. And he can't beat you until you quit. Doesn't matter how feeble your resistance is. If you aren't a strong fighter, all it means is you've got to fight a little bit strong, longer. Right? But you've got the promise that if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. If you don't know how to resist him as strong as I do, well, resist him with what you've got, and it's got to work for you. Maybe not quite as fast, but it will work because you resist the devil, and the Scripture promised you it'd work. And as you get stronger and stronger and stronger, it'll work quicker for you. But if you'll resist the devil, he will flee from you. Now, if you quit, it won't. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand up and have a word of prayer. Father, we praise you tonight. We thank you, Father, for your word. I ask you that you'd apply it to the people's hearts. And, Father, we believe that tonight the word of God has motivated us to get hold of you, Father, to make a commitment and to stick with it, Father. And right now, I minister, Father, to anybody in here that has been weary and fainting in their mind. Father, people that have been discouraged, been in despair over anything. Father, I believe that you strengthened them tonight. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.